Excited to be here? Yes. Me too, yeah. It's a, it's a great day. You braved the, the weather, the storm, and uh, that's appreciated. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, <clears throat> chapter 1, if you turn there in your Bibles. Ruth, chapter 1. <clears throat> and if you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the pew rack in front of you. I've got to apologize. This, uh, this message may be a hard one for some of us. We are talking about handling loss today. Uh, it's been a reoccurring theme in conversations I've been having with people, and we'll get to that in a little while. Um, but needless to say, it's something that is needed to be said. And um, I want to make sure you know that I'm not trying to pretend that I'm a super counselor or have more degrees and doctorates in this uh, psychology. Uh, I'm not trying to play Dr. Phil with you. I am trying to present a perspective from Scripture about how we might handle and position ourselves to handle loss biblically. Okay? <clears throat> Before we get into that, um, I've been asked by the family and given permission to share uh, some news about uh, Keith Bradley, the Bradley family. Uh, Keith is a pastor in Cecilville and Callahan. Uh, he and Jenny, they live in town here up on Adams and, and uh, are members of this fellowship, this church. Uh, of course, uh, Keith's son is, is Hoyt and uh, the Bradley clan, you know the Bradleys in the, in the family. Uh, Keith has been diagnosed with a, a form of lymphoma in his throat and his tonsils. And uh, he's going to be going through that battle with his family as, as the Lord would, would guide and the family's asking for, for prayer and for encouragement. Um, it, uh, it is something that can, be, uh, can go into remission and extend uh, some healthy years, but it is, it is incurable. Um, and just one of those, those things that happens in life uh, with all of us. So uh, one of the things I, I think I read in maybe Jenny's email or someone said, Keith, Keith wants you to know he's not contagious, so go, go and say hi to him. All right, go say hi and, and be, uh, be, his, be his bud, be his friend as you see him. Uh, great man, great, uh, great family, and we'll, he'll continue to, to serve the, the Lord well uh, with every ounce he has in him. So I do want to stop, though, and, and pray for him and, uh, and pray for the Bradley family and that uh, we might support as well, okay? Would you join me in prayer? <clears throat> Father, we, we pause to, to pray and lift up Keith Bradley and Jenny and uh, the entire family. God, you know every detail of their lives, everything that's going on and everything within his body. God, we ask for your healing. We ask for your healing hand upon Keith, that, God, this would be healed and that your glory would be revealed through a healing. God, that you would, you would uh, help your glory, your, your light shine into this dark world because of what you're, what you're capable of. Mostly we pray for your presence, your comfort, God, your peace. And, and God, we thank you so much for uh, godly fellowship that we share with the Bradley family and we, we would ask that you would use us in their lives uh, as this process goes forward any way that you would want us to be used, any way that you would ask us to be used. Help us hold tightly together because we are family, united by Christ. God, I pray for today as we meet together. I pray that as we look at your word that you would encourage us by it. God, there may be some tough, tough or difficult things to hear today, but uh, I pray that it is an encouragement and that we might move forward wanting to know you more and more and more. We thank you for your love for us, Jesus, and we pray in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Handling loss is what we're talking about today. How do we handle loss? We'll be in Ruth chapter 1 in just a minute. Um, I have had uh, a lot of people say uh, before the new year, I can't wait until 2016 is done. I can't wait to get out of 2016 and into 2017. Because 2016 just had too much loss. Let me tell you that every day has loss. 
There's loss every day. There's loss everywhere. There's loss every single year. And this, uh, this message was, I think, preempted by several conversations I've had in the past two to three to four weeks with people who have experienced loss. Uh, they've experienced loss of a loved one by death. They've experienced loss in their life due to poor choices they made or someone else made. They experienced loss because of mental illness. They experienced loss just because it's loss. And this world isn't very fun sometimes. They experienced loss because of a lost marriage. Or loss, in some cases, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Loss is all around us. Amen? We all are experiencing loss or have experienced loss or will experience loss. And I, I mentioned, I, I don't want to play counselor. I don't want to play Dr. Phil with you today. I want us to look at a perspective of Scripture that would help you and I and encourage you and I to, to find ourselves in a position where we're relating to Jesus and letting him do a work in us as we grieve loss. I'm not here to fix the loss. I'm not here to try to progress you forward in the stages of grief and suffering. I'm here to help us position ourselves so that God would do a work in our hearts. So it's, it, we're going to look at some things to understand <clears throat> about loss today, okay? Number one, loss is a real part of life. Amen? Loss is a real part of life. Uh, let's, read, let's read a passage of Scripture. We're in Ruth chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 5. I'm just setting you up here. This is kind of a bummer. It says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man, of Bethel, a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the other was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. A bummer. There's no backstory here. There's no, like, let's get to know the family. Let's figure out uh, who these characters are. It's just there's this woman and her husband. They moved. He died. The kids died. And that's where she was left. That's where our story is. And it's, it's a reality check that, that things like this happen and loss happens. And when I say that this is a reality check uh, and, and that loss is a real part of life, what I'm, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying suck it up, cupcake. Get through it. I'm not trying to, to lessen it. But when I say it's a reality and it's a real part of life, what I'm saying is don't treat it like loss is foreign. Don't treat it like we have to hide loss and not feel the pain of loss. We tend to do that in our lives, don't we? When, when we have a loss in our life, we want to kind of, okay, I can, I can push through. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. Just nothing's wrong. It's okay. Press on. More people in the world is worse off than I am. We kind of have these reasons we tend to push on, and maybe because we're denying what happened, right? Maybe we're, we're in a place where we don't want to confront that. But it's, it's a real thing, so don't treat loss as something that is foreign. Today, January 8th, would have been my Grandpa Chuck's 85th birthday. Pretty, pretty sad day sometimes, right? A, a birthday of a grandparent or a loved one that you lost. And I knew it was coming. I couldn't remember if it was the 7th or the 8th. And I, I'm like, don't, oh, I hope it's not on Sunday. I hope it's not on Sunday. Yep, it's today. 
And my grandpa, I, I loved him with all my heart. And, and I, I, had, I have four grandparents that I've, I've all, that, that I've lost, right, that have, that have been, uh, gone, gone home to see the Lord. And I have two more that haven't. And you're like, well, wait a minute. That doesn't work. The math's kind of off there. I'll get to that a little later on. But I have all, my, all four of my, my biological grandparents have, have passed away. And, and it was real, and, it, it, and I felt that, and it was a hurt. And when my grandpa passed away in 2007, I remember I was working at the church, and I got a phone call from my grandma. I had just come in in the morning. I just got here, and I got a phone call. And my grandma said she came out of her bedroom. Grandpa, who was, because of his COPD, always slept in his chair. And she found him. He was on the, on the floor, not breathing. So, of course, I leave and go, and the paramedics get there just before I do. And, and we eventually say, no, we don't want to resuscitate. He didn't, that's not the quality of life he wanted. And, uh, and he passed away that day. And I remember being super strong. I was just, yeah, I'm here for my family. I'm here for my grandma. My Uncle Dave came in. I was, I was there for my uncle. I was there to support and encourage. And I just remember how strong I was and how stoic almost I was. And I started to be prideful about it and, and like, proud of how, how, how good I was doing. And then one day, I, I, left, I left the office, and I was heading home, and I still lived out on Old Stage. And I, I was driving up Old Stage Road towards Abrams there. And about Abrams, I, there's this country western song on the radio. And I start kind of listening, and it's talking about seeing your grandpa again in heaven and, and what it's going to be like, and I just start bawling. I start crying and weeping. By Graffiti Bridge, I was weeping so uncontrollably, sobbing, that I had to pull my truck over because I couldn't see through the tears. And I just had to weep. I'm like, what am I doing weeping? What am I doing weeping? And later, or later on, you know, several years later, my grandma passed away. And my grandma, you've probably heard me say it so many times, was one of the most influential people in my life. Led me to a faith and belief in Jesus, right? And was there to encourage and support and tell, her, tell me how proud she was that I had chosen to go into ministry. And I remember dealing with her illness and her deterioration. And I remember wanting and feeling like God, and I prayed to God, God, just, just take her tonight. I was trying to be the most unselfish prayer, right? God, just take her, take her tonight. And I'd pray that several nights in a row. God, just take her tonight. Let her, let her, let her see you. Let her be with you. I know she wants that. She says she wants that all the time. Let her go tonight. And then one night I woke up and I, I must've been dreaming about her or something, but I woke up, I was bawling. I woke up bawling and she hadn't passed away yet. I woke up bawling and I sat up on the edge of my bed. I'm just, I'm just, I'm my bed shaking. I'm trying not to wake my wife up. I'm bawling. My like, God, what, what is, why am I bawling? I'm a pastor. My, my grandma's a Christian. My grandma's going to have the biggest mansion I know in heaven. Why am I crying about this? And, and he gave me this image of, of Jerusalem and Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And, and, he, and he says, sometimes th- there are things that are worth weeping over. And, and your grandma is a relationship you had that was worth weeping over. So weep. Weep. I, I know loss is real. And I'm not going to treat it as foreign. And when we weep, it doesn't mean that we're, we don't have faith in God or we're not trusting in God. It means that he gave us a relationship worth weeping over. Now, I think there are times where we can have an unhealthy attachment in a relationship, that we can create someone as a God or an idol in our life, and that when they leave, I'm just devastated, and I, I can't function because they're gone. Well, that, that's not true. We can function because there's hope and there's, there's help and there's joy. And there's victory in Jesus. And that victory does sustain us. That victory makes those relationships even sweeter that we have as well. Grief and loss is a real part of life. 
Let's continue with our story. Number two is this. We ought to position ourselves where we can let God work. Where we can let God work. Uh, Look at verses 6 and 7. She, that is Naomi, and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. She left the place where they had been uh, been living, accompanied by her two daughter-in-laws, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. So here's the situation, and I want us to kind of get a little more background here. Where they used to live, so pre-verse 1, they lived, or verse 1, they lived in Bethlehem, the house of bread where God provides. Uh, who else was from Bethlehem? Baby Jesus of the tribe and line of King David. Pretty happening place, right? Good place to be. God providing for his people. God providing for mankind through Bethlehem. And a famine hits the land. It's a time when the judges ruled. And if you read the book of Judges, you'll see this, this crazy cycle that the, the Israelites are in, right? They're, they want to obey, then they turn away from God and run away, then they're in exile and oppressed by a, a foreign wicked leader, and they're far from God. Then they repent and seek God, and they give them, God gives them another ruler to lead them back to the right place. And they keep on going through this perpetual cycle, right, of despair and then repentance and falling away again. So Elimelech is in in Bethlehem and his family is there and a famine hits and whether we say the famine was from God like God sent a famine to teach these guys a lesson and to get them back on track or whether just a famine hit either way Elimelech makes a decision he's the man of the family right he makes a decision we're moving we're leaving our community we're leaving our heritage we're leaving what we believe oh yeah we'll take it with us right we say we'll take it with us but we're withdrawing we're leaving here because there's food down the street There's food across the country. We're going to walk over there, but we're going to a place that has nothing to do with what we believe. In fact, they have set up lots of false gods, lots of idol worship, and that is going to be everywhere around us. It's not like we are. We're we're kind of aliens in a strange world, right? But we're, we're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're in it together, you and I. They're going to a place where they aren't going to have the together because there's likely not many believers in Yahweh that are there. So he makes a decision because he's hungry and not trusting in his Yahweh God to provide or maybe not repenting and turning back to Yahweh God. He says, we're just going to move. So he uproots his family from their relationships they had, from their church, their synagogue, their place of worship, and says, we're going to go to Moab where we likely won't have a church. It'll be us versus the world. They go. He dies. I don't know if it was judgment or if he got sick, ate the wrong food, but he dies. Then the two boys say they found some good believing women, right, to be their wives and married them. And no, that's not what it says, right? The two women found Moabite, or the two men found Moabite women. They were unequally yoked. They found people who believed in a different God and worshiped a different God, wanted nothing to do with Yahweh, and they married them. And then 10 years later, there were no, no, no children were spoken of. But 10 years later, they died. So they left the house of bread to go into a dark, spiritually dark and spiritually famished place so they would eat. Instead of staying in the house of bread where the Lord would provide for them, the Lord will provide for them, they left. Now, in God's providence, he knew exactly what was going on. And, and we'll see this story of Ruth is riddled with God's providential hand upon it. We see God working in and through all of the characters in this story. I encourage you to go home and read it. It's amazing. 
But the decision was made to leave. And, and now she hears, right? What she's here, she, she heard, she said, because she heard that the Lord had paid attention to his people, to his people's needs, she was going to move back. So even though we go further than the story, and maybe you already know a little more of the story, we know that she's very angry, she's very bitter, she's frustrated, she's experienced great loss in her life. The one thing she is paying attention to is the Lord, her Lord, Yahweh, is there to provide for her. And it's providing for his people. And she wants to then position herself in a place where God can provide and God can work in her life. You know, when we have tragedy in our life, when things, when tragedy strikes in our life, we tend to withdraw. And it's not the withdrawing that's the bad thing. It's the, to what am I withdrawing to that could be the bad thing. Sometimes you and I will withdraw. A tragedy strikes in our life and we will withdraw away from the people that we should be around the most. And we'll withdraw, we'll, we'll withdraw away from those people and we'll cling to other people who probably aren't going to be as super encouraging as the ones we just left. We want to hide and we want to kind of bury our emotions or bury, bury what's going on inside of us because we don't want to be a bother to others. You know, grief share is one of the things that our, our church does and it's helped so many people just kind of understand how to grieve and, and move into, into this place of joy in the Lord. Uh, it's an amazing program. Uh, and and that, that transition, that process is, is great, but you have to set yourself up in a place where you are going to be encouraged, where you're going to be supported. You've got to make that decision to withdraw from something and go to something productive. And one of the things they say in, in grief share, and I think probably in just counseling, you know, the first year after you lose somebody, just don't make any big decisions, don't make any big moves, wait and let's see what God's going to do. I, I disagree a little bit. I think there needs to be some kind of decision that is, is very, very intentional about staying with or going to a place where you can be super encouraged, where you can maintain fellowship, maintain relationships, maintain unity in Jesus. Because you and I need each other. And, and listen, if you're the one who's suffering loss right now and wanting to withdraw, th- those of us who aren't or ha- haven't recently want you to come to us. We want, you, we want to share in that. One of the things Pastor Stan said during our premarital counseling before my wife and I were married, he said, the greatest thing about being married to a Christian, to a believer, is that when when you have joy, because there's two of you, it doubles. And and when you have sorrow, because there's two of you, it, it halves. It's not quite as bad. And that's the same thing that's true in our lives together. I, I, it's admirable that she positioned herself. Naomi positioned herself and said, you know what, I'm observing the Lord is taking care of people. He's doing something there. Let's go there. No, I'm not very happy, but let's go. And she positioned herself in that place so the Lord could provide for her needs. I mentioned I had four grandparents and two more that aren't dead yet. And, and they're, they're two, they're very elderly. They're, they're in, in a nursing care, like an assisted living uh, position place in Montana. But when we moved from here, uh, my, my biological grandparents both lived in Mount Shasta. So when I moved to Montana with my family, I lost grandparents, right? Gone. Like they're here and we visited summers, but that was it. Then my mom's parents moved to Aiden over by Alturas, right? And then, and, and then eventually I moved back to Mount Shasta and I was here with my grandparents, my, my dad's parents. But in Montana, there was, a, there was a couple, an older couple who like just took us under their wing and said, we're going to encourage you. We're going we're gonna to take you to church. We're going to give you rides. We're going to lunch afterwards. We're going to make sure you get to Sunday school. Like all good grandparents should do, right? We want to make sure those kids get to Sunday school. They need Jesus. They probably looked at my brother saying that all the time, right? My, myself. Those two kids, they need Jesus. 
but it was, it was reciprocated, right? We, not only did they love us, but because they loved us, God in his infinite wisdom placed us in a position to be blessed by him through them. And we were able to embrace them as actual grandparents. And to this day, I call them grandma and grandpa. To this day, we send them cards and we exchange cards and letters. To this day, every time we're in Montana, my family always goes and spends time with grandma and grandpa Beller because they're so important to us. Because part of positioning yourself where the Lord would provide, God, God uses people outside of our biological family. You know what this is right here? This is a family. We're a family. We need each other. Position yourself there. I know it might be hard, but position yourself there. And maybe you have a friend who needs to hear this and you need to let them know, get back in here. Come on, let's, let's be together. Let's be side by side to be encouraged. Position yourself where God would work. Number three, be honest about how you feel. Be honest about how you feel. Okay? Let's look at verse 12. Skip over to verse 12. So they're on the way, on the road, and says, Return home, my daughter. So she's encouraging them to return home. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourself from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and left, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister-in-law. Verse 16, I want you to understand, if you're dealing with loss, if it's, it's right there, right near to you, those of us that aren't, and if you, you better not make me a liar, those of us that aren't are saying this to you right here. Listen to what she says. Ruth replied, do not persuade me to leave. Leave you or go back and not follow you. Wherever you go, I will go. Where you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me even more, and even more, if anything but death separates you and me. See, that's a promise. See, that's a promise that you and I, those of us have gone through, gone through grief or loss, and it's a little more distant, and it's not as fresh or hard right now. We're here to support and encourage and, and stand alongside those who need that help. And Ruth made that covenant with Naomi. I'm sticking with you. Nothing's going to separate us. I'm staying here. And, and it was a really neat thing. It's actually a faith moment by Ruth in Yahweh, in God. Where Orpah turned around and said, I'm going back to my gods and my family, my, my thing. Ruth's like, no, no, that, the God, your God, he's my God now. And they went on. Verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. Right? Okay, fine, come on. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Okay, so stop. The whole town is excited to see Naomi back. Right? They, they'd heard rumors. They knew kind of what was going on. Maybe they kept in touch, barely. But she comes to town. The whole town's excited. And the women, right, the women in her church, let's go, let's go see her. Let's go embrace her. Let's go wrap our arms around her. Can this be Naomi? And here, here's how she responds in verse 20. Here's the being honest part. Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. I don't know. I know a lot of you that are like Naomi. Very pleasant, very sweet. She says, call me Mara, 
She answered, Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I left full. Really? You left full? Uh, right. I left full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Pretty honest woman, huh? She didn't come back and say, Hi, ladies, I'm back. It's just great. Let's get back for tea and quilting. It's going to be wonderful. She said, don't call me that. I'll hang out with you, but don't call me Naomi anymore. I'm, I'm going to be the, the party pooper for quite a while. I'm going to be the bummer at your dinner at your home. Right? She's, she's kind of warning them. It's okay. Be honest about how you feel. That, that's part of breaking through some of this grief and loss. And being honest, it, you know, how many times have I asked or have you asked somebody, how you doing? How you really doing? Oh, it's, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you know they're lying. You know, yeah, God, you know, you know they're lying to you. You know they're horrible. And it's like, I can't do anything. They don't want to share. They don't want to open up. They don't want to. And even if I can't do anything, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to pray. Be honest. It's okay if you're a bother to others. That's why we're here. Don't persuade us to leave. Be honest. Number four. Continuing on the story, uh, we want to watch how God might redeem our loss. Watch how God might redeem. Well, you know, there's a lot of things that he needs to redeem. First of all, you and I. You and I are broken, sinful, separated from God. And he needs to redeem or, or buy us back and fix and repair what was damaged by our sin. He does that through Jesus. Christ came. He died on the cross so that you and I could live. And he rose from the dead. He conquered, conquered death so that you and I could live forever with him. But he did it in our place. He didn't die for something I did or something he did. He, did, he died for something I did. He died some, for something you did. And he, what he said is, I want to exchange my righteousness, my perfection, for yours, which is like filthy rags. The sin in your life is dirty and cannot be made clean by your own efforts. You have to humble yourself in a position where you can receive and put on Christ's righteousness, where you can be clothed in his perfection. And that's what he's wanting to do. God wants to redeem you and I. He came to redeem. Now, once we have faith and believe in Christ, he is continuing the redemption story. He knows there's baggage. He knows there's scars. He knows there's loss. He knows there's grief in our life. But he wants to take those stories, those broken, shattered stories, those pieces, and he wants to pick them all up and be the, the masterful mosaic artist that he is and take those broken pieces and make something beautiful out of them. But it takes you and I letting him do that work in us, and it takes you and I watching how he might or could through our circumstances. Look at verse 22. Then we're going to jump to chapter 4. It says, Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. I, I read this and I, I kind of paused. It was interesting because this is the house of bread, right? Barley harvest is going on and she sees that God is starting to provide again. Uh, there's excitement in Bethlehem because God, God is making our crops grow and we're going to get the harvest soon. And, and, and what, I, what I saw there was a glimpse and maybe, maybe it's nothing, but, but I'm going I'm to say it's something. 
God is always ready to do a new work. God is always ready to do something new. And when you see that it was the beginning of the harvest, God is eager for that to start. And, and to me, I see it, because I, I know the rest of the story of Naomi, I see, oh, that's kind of like almost foreshadowing what's going to happen here. God's starting something new. God's doing something new in Naomi and in Ruth and in the whole story. Let's we'll go to chapter 4. I'm going to fill you in on, on the story in between. You can read it tonight or this afternoon with your family. But chapter 4, we'll start in verse 9 again. Uh, what happens is this. God's starting and wanting to do something new, right? There's this beginning of the harvest is happening when they arrive. And Naomi, from that point on, participates in the story of Ruth and of Boaz and continues to see God's providential hand, his, his providing hand upon her, Naomi, and upon Ruth and upon Boaz. She continues to see that. And I think, what I think is this, that, that she senses that there's a, there's a healing to this loss that's beginning. That God's starting to pick up that brokenness and mend it back together like only he can do. What happens is they, they show up in Bethlehem and then she sends Ruth out. Go, go glean, right? You can go and glean behind the ones harvesting in the fields to pick up just enough for us today. Go get some crops. Go get some stuff that we can have. And that was the law then. They could do that. They could work behind the workers. The workers had to leave stuff for them to grab. So they went and worked and they had, it, it, the Bible says it just so happened that she ended up in the, in the field of Boaz, who was a kinsman redeemer, the closest relative redeemer of Naomi's family. The one who, who could take on the estate, who could care for and take on the women in the family. And, and Boaz notices the woman in the, in the field and not, not in like a, ooh, how's she doing? But like she, he notices, wow, she's a good worker. She wants to provide for Naomi. That's, that's awesome. I, I know Naomi, right? And, and he tells his people, take care, make sure she gets enough. And he begins to pray for Ruth, that God would provide a man for her, a redeemer for her. And he, and he prays it not like, man, God, I hope you send me her way. He prays in a genuine way, right? The, almost like he's almost blind and stupid. He's not seeing what's going on. Right? We, we can read the story and we see the whole picture. In the middle of it, Boaz is just like, oh, yeah, God, I want you to send, send someone her way that's going to make her life full and complete and her, her family line extend. And ultimately, through time, it ends up being that he's that one. And Ruth makes that known, like, hey, Boaz, I think you're the guy. He's like, oh, me? Oh, yeah, okay. That's, and so he goes to the city gate where they do business, and he wants to make sure that, that he's the one in line and can do business. And he meets, there was one more that was one step closer than him, and, and he said, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll buy the estate. I'll take it back. But he plays the mother, mother-in-law card. He says, you know, you get the family, you get this bitter mother-in-law. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't want it. You can have it. And the guy takes off. Okay, <laughs> the guy takes off. So he's kind of a shrewd businessman. He was, he was pretty awesome. So it shows up, and here, here in verse 9 is where we are in chapter 4. Uh, Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I will also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, uh, as my wife, to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear from among his relatives or from the gate of his home. You are witnesses today. He says, I'm making a deal. I'm, I'm taking care of this family from now on. Verse 11, the elders and all the people who were there at the gate said, we are witnesses. 
May the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephratah and famous in Bethlehem. May your house become like that of the house of Perez, the son, uh, the son Tamar bore with Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Boaz, who uh, took, took Ruth and she became his wife, uh, when she was intimate with him, or her, when he was intimate with her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, the women, sorry, the women, right? The women, the ladies that she said, I'm, I'm bitter, said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name be famous in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law who loves you is better to you than seven sons and has, uh, has given birth to him. Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap and took care of him. The neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of King David. Awesome. We talked about lineage a lot, right? Talking about the birth of Christ last month and going back even further, but it, amazing that we see this God's story is perpetuated through this, through Elimelech's bad decision even to go to Moab. And, and then one of the guys marries Ruth, and she goes along, comes back to Bethlehem, and she is the mother to Obed, who is in the line of David. God's hand is on it all the way. And what we see in this is we need to watch out for how he might redeem. At the end of this time, this baby is born. And the women see the joy as Naomi places the baby boy on her lap, becomes, becomes the caregiver. And that, that it was sweeter to her than seven sons. See, there, there's a joy to be had. There's a, a redemption to be had even through our loss if we're willing to let God do that. I think you and I like to hide, though. We don't like to share. We don't like to be honest and talk about our loss and talk about our grief and talk about our scars. And God is like, I, I want so badly to use this for my glory. Would you allow me to do that? I want so badly to take this broken, these broken pieces and mend them together into something beautiful. The loss we face is not in vain. It's not loss for just loss's sake. There's always something that he is ready and willing to do through our loss to reveal his glory. You know, when I, when I go to the hospital and I, when I hear people in the hospital or sick, sick people, I, I pray for healing. I absolutely know God can do that. And God wants to reveal his glory in that way. And, but there are times that God is going to reveal his glory in other ways. So when I pray for people who are in the hospital who are sick, the one thing, or, or even if they're, they're Christians or not Christians, one thing I do pray, I always pray that they're, they're healed. But I also always pray, God, that you would just make them so aware of your presence right now. And that, what, that, that this, this occasion, that this time, that this moment in their life would draw them closer to you. That we would cling closer to the Father. We, we would cling closer to Jesus and let him do a redemptive thing in us. I want to read a, a passage out of Genesis 50. You don't have to turn there. This is a story of Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery and eventually became, uh, was Potiphar's slave, right, and, and was, was a right-hand man in Egypt and uh, interpreted dreams and visions by the, by the power of the Lord and that he was able to save Egypt and the surrounding areas because they stored up, for seven years, they stored up all the excess grain and all the excess uh, food they could so that when the seven years of famine hit, they were all saved. And here's what he says when, he, when he's confronted and his brothers are confronted with him. Here's what he said. It's in Genesis 50, 20. It says, you planned evil against me. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like some people plan evil against you? 
You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph, who could have been a man full of vengeance and rage and anger and hate and bitterness and spite, said, I I know what you did was wrong. And what you planned for evil, God used for good. I think sometimes we like to sit in the drudge of the evil and let Satan just take a hold of us and drive us deeper, deeper into the mire. And God is like, I am so sorry that happened to you. Give me your hand. Let me pick you back up and wipe you off, dust you off, and and we'll make something new out of this. God is looking for a way to redeem your loss, your grief, your sorrow for his glory. Number five, the final one. We need to develop an eternal perspective. Develop an eternal perspective. Listen, I believe that God will allow and even orchestrate things and events that will benefit his kingdom and things that will bring about his glory. I believe God is in, his, is in, the, is in the business of his glory. See, if it's not for God's glory and the light, the light being shown in the darkness, we don't see Jesus. We want God's glory to be seen. And our goal, listen, this, maybe write this in your notes. If you write anything else, this is the one, right? Our goal should not be to avoid loss. Our goal should not be to avoid loss. Our goal should be to know Christ more every single day, every step of the way. I'm going to read a scripture passage from Philippians chapter 3. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Philippians 3. Paul is talking about uh, the, comparing everything in his life that he has as a loss except for Jesus. Too far. Philippians chapter 3. There's more to be read there too. You surely can read more of that later. It's an amazing uh, passage of Scripture. He says in verse 7, he says, but everything that was a gain to me. So he had a, a pretty prestigious life, uh, a lot of things he could value and place his ego on and place just, just value in, right? Everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Those things that, that are a loss for us, those are, it's okay to be a loss. But we, if we hold on to those and let it own us and let it destroy us, we aren't knowing Christ. We have to consider holding a value, a supreme value on those things as a loss and saying, listen, I'm going to count my losses and I'm going I'm to cling to Christ. It's not that those aren't valuable. It's not that those relationships aren't worthwhile. It's that Jesus is worth more. He said that I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value, surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them filth so that I might gain Christ. Wow. And be found in Him. I want to be found in Him. Not just, not, not just considering a loss that I might gain Him. I want to be found in Him. Why? Because it's not having a righteousness of my own from the law or from obeying these rules, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God is based on faith. 
Listen, that righteousness I spoke of, Christ's righteousness earlier, the value of having that for yourself is the eternal perspective you and I need to have. Everything else in our life is a loss. Everything in our life one day will be stripped and gone. Job understood this. That's for your further study too, right? Job understood this. He, tore his, he lost everything, tore his clothes off and said, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going out. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He knew this. He can't, you can't hold on to anything except for Jesus. We can hold on to Jesus. I mentioned earlier that today is my, what would have been my grandpa's 85th birthday. So it's one of those sore kind of times like, oh, if, if he was here, we'd be celebrating. And what would, we, what would it have been like, right? The what, the what, would, have, what would have been comes up, right? Today is also the 59th anniversary of the day that uh, Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Peter Fleming, and Roger Udian were speared to death by the tribe they were trying to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ in Ecuador. See, these men counted their lives as nothing, that they might gain Christ and that others might gain Christ and know Christ. And they willingly laid down their life and answered a call, even a call to come and die. And today, as we think about loss, and understand, when these men died, they left behind people. Elizabeth Elliot was married to Jim for, for three years, and they had a 10-month-old daughter when he was killed. There was loss. But we can learn from, from these men's courage. We can learn from the men and women who have come before us in our own family, our own church family, that, that the cause of Christ is supreme. And, and I want to end with this. A confident faith in an unshakable God is the power to radical obedience to that kind of call. A powerful, a confident faith in an unshakable God is the power to radical obedience in that type of call. And, and here's what Jim Elliott wrote in his journal. And, and, and before he, of course, passed away, this is what his journal says. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not foolish to have an eternal perspective about loss, about stuff, and about Jesus. Everything else can be given away so that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not with a righteousness of my own, but a righteousness that comes from God by faith. Amen? Let's stand and pray together. Father, I'm so thankful that you are a comforter for us. That God, we, we don't have to be fake with you. We don't have to pretend nothing has ever happened in our life. God, this world, this world's a mess. And every day and every, every place and every year, we are all affected by some sort of loss. And I understand that some are more than others. And there are seasons of it. But God, for those of us who are going through loss right now, I, I pray that you would Help us be open to position ourselves in a place where you would work and that your glory would be revealed as you do your redemptive process on us and in us. God, for those of us who, who aren't going through significant loss right now, that we would rise up and we would let people know to not persuade us to leave or to go away and to, to let them know that they're not a bother, that we would stand alongside each other and encourage and support and listen. We may not even have the answer, God but we're a shoulder. 
Let us be the family that you've called us to be, relying on a good Father who redeems us with his righteousness and gives us a hope and a value in Christ that surpasses everything else that we could imagine. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we close our service, as always, it's, it's our opportunity to respond. Uh, I, I know I, I saw some tears out there this, today. I saw them this morning earlier. There's grief. There's things going on. Maybe you need a, a moment to pray right where you're at. Uh, I'll be down here in front. If you, if you feel a need to pray and want, want some encouragement, I'd love to pray with you. If you just need a hug, I'd love to give you a hug. Whatever you need. Maybe you just need to cry out to God as we sing and worship him with everything you've got, responding back to him out of the, out of the joy that's in your heart for him or even out of the sorrow that's in your heart knowing that he is a good God. That blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever it is, while we sing, you go. <laughs>